so good to be here in such an um, unusual presence of the Lord here today. And I want to honor his presence. Uh, we're glad to be here. I won't go into a lot of preliminaries. As you guys know, a lot of times we'll get up and give you a report of what's going on in Harrisburg and all of that. But I just sense just to get right into the word today. Um, there's a word that uh, Pastor Paul made a special request of us to share here, and it was concerning uh, the gates and walls of our hearts and homes. And uh, last month when we were here, we began talking about that and sharing about that. And for those of you that weren't here, uh, we'll, we'll give you a quick recap before continuing in what we're calling a prayer journey around the gates and walls of our hearts and homes. As many of you already know, in the book of Nehemiah, it gives the story of how God used this mighty man to uh, undertake the huge, daunting project of restoring the gates and walls of Jerusalem. Uh, over 400 years prior, uh, Babylon had um, came, come in, uh, attacked Jerusalem, destroyed the walls, burned down the gates, destroyed the most important buildings, uh, every building just about especially the temple, the palace, and uh, they were taken into captivity, the people. Uh, the best and the brightest of them were taken into captivity. The rest were killed, and the, and the few were left as exiles um, in, the, in the rubbles and ruins of the city. Um, years and years later, uh, Babylon was overthrown by the Persians, and under the Persians, uh, um, Ezra was allowed to go back and rebuild and restore the temple, but still there were people there living amongst the ruins. And the thing that's interesting about the Persian kings was that uh, there were people like Cyrus and uh, and Exorcies and Artaxerxes, and and many believe today that uh, just like God used these pagan kings who had a soft heart toward God's people, that God is using our current president in the same way. Um, and I know that there are many who are arguing and putting forth the, the battle that he's not necessarily a godly man. And why are Christians uh, 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 happy about him being in the White House? And why are they making excuses for him? And I just want to tell you, we don't have to try to make excuses for him. Cyrus wasn't a godly man, nor was exorcies or act exorcies. But, but they had a soft heart toward God's people. And they allowed... Uh, Ezra to go back and rebuild the temple and allow Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the gates and the walls of the city. And, um, and they actually, especially uh, uh, with uh, Nehemiah, he was not only given permission to go, but he was given provision to go back and do it. In other words, they, he actually uh, gave him authority, gave him money, gave him resources, everything that he needed to rebuild and restore um, what had been lost centuries before. And um, each one of those gates, uh, in fact, about four years ago, my wife, the Lord put on our hearts to begin to pray for the family. But he gave us a specific strategy in praying for families, especially in the urban community. And of course, dear to our hearts, uh, the families of our own people, African-Americans, because uh, the history of this country, and more importantly, the strategy of the enemy to destroy families, beginning with heads of households, and to leave the gates and the walls of hearts and homes 
totally burned down and destroyed. Yes, we are aware that it happens in every single family, but when God puts something on your heart, he doesn't just give you a word for the whole world. He'll actually give you for a word for a specific people group. And for us, it was our, our people, African-Americans. So, so the prayers that we were lifting up were not to the exclusion of any other people group, but that's the focus that God gave us, just like God didn't send Nehemiah to rebuild the gates and walls of every city everywhere. He sent him where? To the gates and walls of his own city amongst his own people. And I believe it's the same way today that God gives us calls back to each and every one of our, our ethnicities, to our tribes, to our families. It always, it always comes down to that, doesn't it? More specifically, to our family. And many of us uh, have had gates, the gates and walls of our families torn down. And when you go and you look in the Bible, uh, you read about each one of those gates. Each gate had a name because each gate had a purpose. And the Lord began to show us uh, prophetically the meaning, the symbolic meaning, the prophetic meaning of each one of those gates as it relates to an individual's heart. Just think about it. There was 10 gates around the city, and we believe that there's 10 gates that surrounds everybody's heart. There are 10 gates that are surrounded the city, and we believe that there's 10 gates that surround everybody's home. And just like those walls and gates were torn down by the Babylonians, in, all, in many of us, our hearts and our homes have had those walls and gates torn down. And so we went into a, just a, a long season of prayer where the Lord had us just to take our time and, and teach about each one of those gates, what its meaning was, and then stop and pray as a church family. This was four years ago. I can't believe it's been that long ago. Four years ago, we started teaching about each gate and then how to apply that to our specific heart and to our specific homes, to our families. Um, because I'm, Carol and I are some of those people who I, I love getting into teaching, uh, love getting into studying the word of God. Uh, uh, Gary and I share that in common. <laughs> we love getting all into that deep stuff. But when it comes to living it out, I don't, I don't necessarily like getting up talking about all the deep stuff if it can't be applied in my life very practically. <laughs> For some of you that grew up in church or around church, you have probably heard some profound messages taught and preached, whether it was Sunday school or across the pulpit or in midweek services or Friday night gatherings, and you walked out mesmerized by all of the big words that were used and the profound revelation that was laid upon us, but we didn't have a clue as to how to apply it when we got back home and when you had to go to work and go to school, and we certainly couldn't have deciphered any of it to our children. <laughs> and so unless we can take it to a child's level, of understanding, then all we have is a bunch of knowledge and information that puffs us up, but doesn't build us up. And so as we're going through these gates, uh, we wanted to just kind of, in fact, this morning, we want to first just give you a, a kind of a reminder of the things that we shared last month when we were here. Thank you, Lord. 
and why it's even so important. I won't, uh, we'll try to get through this pretty quickly for those of you that weren't here with us last month and we started talking about the uh, repairing the gates and walls. Here's just a quick review. Uh, the reason why it's so important to talk about the rebuilding of these gates, especially concerning our hearts, is because Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Proverbs 4, 23. I'm reading from the Amplified Version of the Bible. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance. And then it says something very important. And above all that you guard. Wow. For out of it, here's the reason why above everything that you guard, you guard your heart is because for out of it flows the springs or the issues of life. Whatever is in your and my heart depends upon what has been allowed to come in and through the gates. Whatever's in your heart right now, it's there because it came through the gates of your heart. It was what was allowed to come through. Sometimes it was forcibly brought in. Or other times the gates were torn down or wide open and certain things came in. Wow. And so we make decisions in our lives right now based upon what has entered our hearts and what has entered our homes. Man, there are 10 gates that were embedded, as I mentioned before, at strategic points along the walls of Jerusalem. And each one of those gates has a very specific purpose. And the, one of the key things that we observed last time was as Nehemiah got started in that process and in that project, there was opposition that came against them. And it was for, from four specific um, entities or people were identified as being uh, in opposition to that, to that effort. They were Sanballat, Tobiah, it said the Arabs, and uh, uh, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. They listed all of those, but it's actually four people because T Tobiah was an Ammonite. Um, they heard about what was going on and what was being restored, and they came out against that effort. Um, and we took the time to explain what the spiritual force behind these individuals, because as we all know, according to the word of the Lord, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. And so it's never just simply people. And so when we looked at the opposition that came, especially we'll start with Sanballat. Sanballat was a Moabite. The Moabite people, uh, their, their beginnings uh, was out of uh, incestuous re relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. They had a son, and they named him Moab. And that's how that people group began. So right from their beginning was perversion. And as years and time went along, they, uh, they adopted practices to continue in that perverted thought. And they adopted worship that was in that perverted thought, in that perverted uh, origin. The god that they served and worshiped was named Chemosh. And they would offer baby sacrifices to the god Chemosh. And a part of what they called their worship ritual um, was homosexual and heterosexual uh, illicit relations going on as part of worship practice. So it's a whole mindset. Uh, 
So here you have the people of God just simply saying, we're not, we're not going to war with anybody. We're not opposing anybody. We're just simply rebuilding our homes. So you got to really catch this. Nehemiah didn't go back to start a war with any of the surrounding neighbors and, 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 uh, and entities and people. They just said, we're going home just to rebuild our own homes. That, that's all we're trying to do, rebuild my own gates and my own home, and I'm not attacking anybody. And yet, isn't it interesting today that the more uh, that God's people simply uh, intentionally engage in the effort to rebuild our hearts and our homes, we are opposed by those who are pushing these same thoughts. Sacrificing babies in the name of pro-choice and engaged in worship that's against God and calling it uh, open marriage, same-sex marriage. So you see, it's a spiritual entity. So when you see Sanballat's name, it's not just a human being. It's a spiritual entity that says, oh, you're going to rebuild the gates and the walls and block the thoughts and the intentions and the beliefs and the systems that we have already established? No. But we weren't opposing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're opposing us simply by rebuilding those gates. Because we want your gate, your gate of your heart first, which opens up the gates of your home to be open to this belief system. Wow. Isn't that something when you see what it really was about? <laughs> the, the next one was Tobiah. Tobiah was an Ammonite. Um, and the Ammonites uh, were, are the result of the same uh, relation. The Ammonites uh, were, uh, Lot had the same type of relation with his younger daughter. And the son that was born to them, born to that horrible union, uh, was where the Ammonites come from. And Tobiah was an Ammonite. Uh, they had a similar god. Uh, I forget the name right now, but they, Molech, thank you. And they did the same thing, baby sacrificing. Same mindset that it's okay to sacrifice your children for your future. You do know that most of that, that really is the bottom line of the abortion issue uh, industry. They push the thought especially among minority young ladies that you can't afford to bring a child into this messed up world. You don't want to sacrifice your future for the sake of this baby. Yeah, using it as a form of birth control. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have just sat down and, and had to talk to and comfort young ladies who were in severe regret for having done, having done this. They did not know, no one ever told them the incredible uh, back, uh, well, what we're gonna call it, the consequences, the, consequences, repercussions. the repercussions they were gonna have to their, uh, to their bodies, to their mental state. Uh, um, 
and no one told them about that part. Um, one young lady, I remember telling, hearing, hearing the story of a young girl who, even though she was under the anesthesia, at the moment of the death of her baby, she still screamed out. Because you can't do something like that. That is totally against the very nature of a woman and have no consequences at all. And so that's where Tobiah is coming from. Same type of spiritual influence. The Arabs, as many of you know, are descendants of Ishmael. Ishmael was the son born to Abraham and Hagar, his handmaiden. And the battle goes on to this day, to this very day, about who has the birthright. The descendant of Abraham in, in, of Ishmael or, uh, or of Isaac, who was born through Sarah, his wife. So today they have this ongoing battle about, well, Ishmael was born first, and then, uh, then the other side is, yeah, but Isaac was born first to his wife. And that battle still goes on to this day about who has the right to exist. Do you understand that, 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 that that's not just a nice little um, battle between brothers to this day? This is about a battle for existence. <laughs> you know, on, on one side, you have one side who's ready to say, you're my brother, I love you. We, we can still coexist the other, but you have another side who says, no, I don't want to coexist with you. I want you off the planet. And that type of influence still exists today. How does that apply to our hearts and our homes today, this type of spiritual influence? I'm not talking about getting into the battle of Jews versus Arabs. I'm talking about a spiritual influence that looks at you and me and says, you don't have the right to exist. You don't have the right to worship God the way you do. You don't have the right to raise your kids the way you do. You don't have the right to protect your family the way that you've always done through these years. You don't have the right. Isn't it amazing that through all of the, that uh, over the last eight to 12, 16 years, more and more we found ourselves fighting for our rights to even exist as believers. That's why we're feeling the pressure of what's going on, what was going on in our government and in the governments of the world. That's why so many of our Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are under persecution. It's not just, it's not just torment to make them turn, or, uh, turn their beliefs. It's actually, there's an extermination going on. Do you understand that we have, we have uh, an attempt to wipe out to wipe out Christianity, to wipe out believers. And that same influence is already here in America. I'm not saying that to scare you, but there's a reason why God is sending people like the brother that was here last night to bring the warning. They're already here. And they're not just trying to squash us. They're trying to, they're saying you don't have the right to even be here. So there's some gates and walls, gates and walls that God wants to restore to resist this influence. 
Then the last one was the Ashdodites. The Ashdodites uh, were uh, actually, they were Philistines. Ashdod is the name of the city where these Philistines lived. And so they referred to as Ashdodites. The word Ashdod means I will spoil. What does that mean? What's the spiritual influence of, of, a, of a meaning I will spoil? In sports, and those of you that know about sports, especially team sports, as you get closer to the end of the season, there are some teams that have lost so many games, they already know that they're not going to make it into the playoffs. So they take on this role, you like this phrase, they're called the spoilers. What are they trying to do? They're just simply trying to knock others out of the playoffs. They know they aren't going. So my role now is just simply to spoil your opportunity, your chance. And so here's an influence. They're called bullies also. Isn't it interesting that bullying is such a major problem in America right now? And not even just among our kids. I'm talking about adult bullying on our jobs. Some of you right now can name three or four bullies on your job. Why? Is it just individuals who are out of control and just trying to throw their weight around and intimidate people? No, it's a spiritual influence that has been released that is across this country because our nation, when the, I believe when you go all the way back to 9-11, anybody felt like I did on 9-11, it was like something horrible has happened in the spirit. Our walls are down for something like this to happen on this soil. I wasn't just looking at the natural, you know, security, military. No, I'm looking at the spirit. Something has happened. America's walls are down. Gates are open for something like this to happen. I thought that we would see revival after that. How many of you thought that we're going to really see churches are going to be filled up. People are going to repent and come back to God. And they did for a couple of weeks. For a couple of weeks, churches were filled and but it didn't take long before we went back to business as usual and Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ashdodites rose up at even greater levels and the things that we were that were just on the table being talked about on September the 12th 2011 2001 by by 2011 10 years later we were already implementing and saying okay it's okay for you to marry whoever you want it's okay for you to do whatever you want and all of you preachers and you Christians shut up We could, not, we could not have even imagined, just think about it, guys. We couldn't have imagined that America would be in the condition that it's in now. Just think about September the 10th, if you can. The day before, when we were just going about our lives, and now think about what your life was like the day after. And we were in horror, and we were in shock. And we couldn't have imagined where we would be today. I still remember when Billy Graham 
was led our nation in prayer, and I was so full of hope. I remember that moment as he prayed in that huge uh, cathedral. And here is one of God's prominent men, televised, live, all over the United States in one incredible moment. Our whole nation is gathered in prayer with one of God's foremost leaders. And I was so hopeful. This is it. Revival's going to break out. And no. Our gates and walls were down. Now, since then, I want to give you some hope. <laughs> since then, we have had the Ezra-type ministry where there's been a restoration of worship, the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, these past few years, many of you have even been part of that, the prayer movements, worship movements, um, and seeing God move in some powerful ways, things being reestablished and restored. But that was only the beginning. Somehow we got stuck and we stopped there at the prayer movements. And at the worship movement, because we thought that would turn it all around. Nehemiah stood before the king of his day, the Persian king, and the king was like, something's wrong. Why are you so sad? And he said, back in my home, our walls are down. Our gates are down. We're still wide open for attack. I'm sure it in the back of his mind, even though I'm glad for temple worship being restored, but my family hasn't been changed. That's where we are today, I believe, in America. We're still gathering in our churches and in our facilities, and we're having great worship times. We're having great intense times of prayer. Uh, you know, places like the International House of Prayer in Missouri, where I'm from, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, prayer and worship going forth. But still, households remain wide open. So the Lord had us in this prayer to begin to rebuild. So we started building the sheep gate. That's the first gate that was listed um, when you go through Nehemiah 4. The sheep gate was symbolic. Uh, it was the place where they brought in the sheep to be sacrificed in the temple. And the sheep gate, the significance is that was uh, the, the sheep gate represents, as we all know, Jesus Christ is the lamb sacrificed for our sin. So restoring the sheep gate means restoring this position and this mindset in every heart and in every home that Jesus Christ is our only savior, not the government not the military, not our education, Jesus. Amen. Boy, I feel that right now, Jesus. Yes. And so we took the time last month, remember when those of you that were here, and we said, we restore that gate. Yes. Even though I'm already saved and I love the Lord, I restore this gate, Lord. You are my only Savior. You're the Savior of my life, and you're the Savior of my home. Why do you have to take it to the home? That means making, making that priority in my own household. 
amongst our children, our family members, cousins, aunts, uncles. If you've got family members and stuff that are not saved, then that takes us right into the next gate. The next gate is the fish gate. The fish gate was the gate where they were, the fishermen brought in their catch. Everybody knew if you want to go get fish, you got to go to the fish gate because that's where the fish are going to be brought in. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you, what's the word, fishers of men. So he says the first priority after establishing that Jesus is the savior of my heart, the savior of my home, then the top priority of our lives is to be fishers of men. Yeah. The top priority in many of us, especially in the African-American community, we've, we've made so many things the, uh, the, the priority of our lives. Getting an education, getting out of the ghetto, all just, no, no, fishers of men. And some of you may have wondered, why, why so many of the preachers in the urban communities, uh, uh, you know, why they're preaching the prosperity message and not the salvation message? And that is because the priority became get money to get out of the ghetto, not win souls. <laughs> in fact, they changed the gospel and made the gospel into get rich. Salvation became economic salvation, social salvation, status salvation but not salvation of my soul. So we pray, Lord, we reestablish that the, our top priority is soul winning. Wow. Then the next gate that we looked at was the old gate. That's where we stopped. The old gate symbolized uh, returning to the timeless wisdom of God. When you say old, we think in terms of age because our bodies start to wear out and all those types of things the longer we're here on the planet. I want to I share something with you that will kind of help you. Uh, a year is determined by how long it took the earth to go around the sun. 365 days and they have to adjust it every four years and the time is 366 days. And, but uh, one year. 365 days. So when we talk about age, we measure ourselves by how many revolutions the earth has made around the suns. So it's not that you are, let's say, I'll just take myself. It's not that I'm 57 years old. I've been on the earth for 57 revolutions around the sun. I want you to receive that right now. <laughs> it doesn't seem like very much now. I've just been on the merry-go-round for 57 trips around the sun. Why can I say that? Even though this body is aging, do you know, understand that our spirit, our, the real us inside of here, it does not age because it is eternal yes. and like our God it has no uh, it has no time on it some of you say thank you Lord yes. thank you Lord <laughs> you got to remember this one 
I've been on the planet 57 times around the sun. But the real me is timeless. And our God is timeless. What am I getting at? When you're talking about the old age, we're talking about the old gate. We're talking about returning to the timeless wisdom of God. Amen. Which knows no time. So what he spoke maybe 100 revolutions ago, it doesn't make it expire. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Why do we know that that's so true? Because God spoke and everything exists to this very moment. Timeless wisdom of God. Why is that important? Because now, if you say, I'm going to, re I'm going to establish this as a gate for my heart and for my home, then what we're saying is, I'm not just going to keep pursuing the newest and the latest and the greatest thing that comes out by man's witty inventions. Here in America, we worship youth and youthfulness. And we totally, almost totally ignore those who have been on the planet a few revolutions. As if though wisdom has no meaning. And if we are going to, if our, in, on an individual level, in my heart and in my home, if we are going to really see restoration and protection, then we must go back to the timeless wisdom of God and not let, not, and just, well, I'm going to say it, disregard what they're calling new age wisdom. It's amazing to me when I listen to the things that people say. They, and the cosmos and the coming together of everything and everything is God and God is everything. And oh my, okay, don't. <laughs> There's an interesting phrase, interesting statement uh, that's made by in Job. Job 12, 12 says, wisdom is with aged men. And with length of days, understanding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As I listen to, and we're taking, we're in the we're in the time of life of coaching our children. Uh, we have three sons. One's thirty-one. The twins are twenty-seven. And you're in this time of life where you're you're a coach because we've made so many mistakes ourselves and all of the grandparents in the room, you know what I mean, as you watch your children do the things that you used to do when you were that age. And, and so now you're a coach. You can't tell them what to do, but you would like for them for, to benefit from the wisdom <laughs> that we now have. <laughs> <laughs> But Job 32, verse 6 and 7, you write that down. Job 32, verse 6 and 7, it says this. This is Elihu speaking, and he says, I am young in years, and you are very old, talking to Job. And he said, therefore, I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. 
Can you imagine a young person saying that to you today? You're older. I'm younger. I don't know what I'm talking about. I can't. Okay, let's stop, Chris. <laughs> he said age should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. So what am I saying? Let's allow God to rebuild and restore this gate of the timeless wisdom of God, returning to that. Wow. Now the repairing of, now we'll get to the next gate, repairing the valley gate. There was your rehearsal of from last time. Now the valley gate. Let's look at the valley gate. In the Bible, a valley symbolizes sorrow, trials, and humbling experiences. Uh, but we've got to restore the valley gate because it's the understanding it's the understanding that we will overcome when we have trouble in difficult seasons. Here in America, I keep referring to America, and, I, and um, I know I see it in my community, in our community, where families can't stand up against anything. They have no intestinal fortitude to go through anything hardly trials and things go wrong and they lose it I want you to understand people of God um, for the things that you have gone through and the trials and the tests and the things that you have uh, triumphed through even the things that you failed miserably and but you still came through you have a incredibly powerful gate established in your life the understanding that I will make it through this. Amen. Yes, it's hard, but I'm going to make it through this. It is the reason why, and I don't say that if there's anybody here that has uh, gone through this, but it is the reason why the divorce rate is so high in America. It's the reason because one person or the other, and I've learned that much with all of the coaching and the things that we've gone through with the years of coaching other couples, one person or the other doesn't have this gate established in their heart. So when it gets hard, then Sanballat's mindset and Tobiah's mindset and the Ashtodites and the Arab mindset comes right in through that gate and says, you don't have to take this. Just think about the sand ballot, free love, have anybody you want, do whatever you want. So here's somebody that can't, that doesn't have a valley gate established. And so sand ballot can bust right in and say, hey, you see that girl over there? She appreciates you. Your wife don't appreciate you. She does. Way back in the 60s or 70s, there was this song that permeated the African-American community. And it was called, If Loving You Is Wrong then I don't want to be right. If being right means being without you, then I'd rather be wrong than right. Sandballot, Tobiah, bust right in those gates. So when the couple is having a hard time with the bills and can't communicate, 
he's lost his job or she's lost her job or the kids and all of that. And so Sanballat says, here's a nice little thing on the side. And so that mindset, you've been playing that song and hearing that music so Sanballat can bust Sanballat and Tobiah right through that gate. Can you see it today? So you need the valley gates established that says, oh no, things are hard, it's tough, but we can get through this. We're going to make it through this. Well, there's always, there seems to be one person or the other where that gate is not as strong. Wow. Romans 5 verses 3 and 4 says this, very, very, familiar scripture it says not only so but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and when we say hope the bible doesn't mean a wish the bible's definition of hope is it's an expectation that i have because god made me a promise the example I like using is when our kids were little, I would promise them that we were going to go to Toys R Us at the end of the week and maybe buy some video games. So if I say that on a Monday, then they're going to bug mom all week long. Are we going today? Are we going today? Are we going today? Each day. Are we going today? Why? Why? Because hope, expectation is there based upon Dad made a promise. That's what we mean when the Bible says, the Bible uses the word hope. We have an expectation because dad made a promise. Wow. And where does that come from? That comes as a result of, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope and expectation. Where did that come from? Because now I have an actual experience with God. So just like he helped me before and he got me through it before, he will, see hope, he will do it. Valley gate. So no matter what forces come in against me, mm -mm, God will see us through this. Can you bless the Lord right now? Bless you, Lord. The valley gate can also be expressed like this, 2 Corinthians 4th chapter. You write that down, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10. Another familiar passage of scripture, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Anybody familiar with that? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet, don't you like that? Yet, <laughs> not crushed. We are perplexed, but <laughs> not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Here's why this is so important. It refers to the excellence of the power. 
And I like turning those words around so we can really understand what this means. He didn't say the power of excellence. He said the excellence of the power. Now, what's the power of excellence? The power of excellence, first of all, I'd like to say this. Um, because of many times the thrust and the push of the church has been uh, based upon the power of excellence, we have not really understood the excellence of the power. The power of excellence is this, or it's the influence of excellence, or, or uh, the affluence of excellence. In other words, things look great on the outside. That's the power of excellence. If someone drives up to your house and the lawn is manicured perfectly and you the, the just walk, walk up to your house, everything, the painting is, is perfect, windows perfect, porch is awesome. That's the power of excellence. Now someone has a certain view, an opinion of you based up on the excellence. But this is the excellence of the power. And with the excellence of the power, things don't look so nice. <laughs> it's just the opposite. Thing, in fact, things look horrible. How can you say that, Pastor Chris? Because he says, here's what the power of excellence looks like. We're hard pressed on every side. That doesn't look very excellent. <laughs> Hard pressed on every side. But because of the excellence of the power within me, even though I'm hard pressed, the power of God within me doesn't allow me to be crushed. On the outside, it looks like this is not going to work. Aren't you glad we made that distinction? Here's what the excellence of the power looks like. We are perplexed. <laughs> See, that doesn't look like you're in much faith. Perplexed? Wait a minute. I thought I'm, we're supposed to be God's men and women of faith and power. Where did perplexed come from? He said, well, this is what the excellence of the power looks like. We're perplexed. One of the definitions of perplexed means I'm in a situation that's embarrassing. So you know how earlier I mentioned divorce? Embarrassing. My younger sister was the worship leader in our church when her husband asked for a divorce. Out of nowhere. Perplexed. Bankruptcy. Foreclosure. Get laid off your job. Situations that are embarrassing. But he said, but because of the excellence of the power, we're not in despair. Despair means without hope. Without an expectation that God, <laughs> there that gate is, that God, you're going to see me through this. The next one is persecuted. Persecuted means bullied. 
Remember when I talked about earlier the Ashdodites? So even though I'm bullied, I'm not forsaken. The main reason why we hear about so many kids committing suicide as a result of bullying is because they feel forsaken. It's not even just the kids who are picking on me. It's the feeling that there's nobody that I can go to. So now you see why we need this gate established in our homes because our kids are killing themselves because there's no valley gate in that house. There's no valley gate in that child's heart. Come on right now, say, Lord, Lord, help us, help us, God, to reestablish the valley gate in my household. Some of you got teenagers and young kids in your house. They are being picked on. But you know because of the position that you're in right now, you can begin in prayer and even understanding now. You can now pray with understanding. God, I establish the valley gate in my household. You can do that right now. But my niece, my nephew, my grandson, my granddaughter, my cousins, aunts, uncles. Yes, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Bring them to this place where they know they're not forsaken. <laughs> they're not forsaken. Some of you need to know that even for yourself, for the bullying that you're undergoing. You're not forsaken because of the excellence of the power that's within you. The last one, he said, they're struck down but not destroyed. Struck down doesn't mean, if I were to have, if I were to take a, a glass bottle uh, and if I maybe if I just dropped it on the ground, it would probably crack. But if I throw it down, <laughs> destroyed. That's what this verse means. It means it's you're being thrown down so hard that the intention was to destroy you. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have had the enemy has tried to destroy you? But the reason why he left perplexed instead of you was because of the excellence of the power within you. He, the enemy threw down you, you precious vessel of God that seemed so fragile and you would shatter on contact. But instead of shattering, you bounced. And why did you bounce instead of break? Because of the excellence of the power of God within me. So even though externally it didn't look cool, <laughs> it didn't look good at all, it didn't look like I was in faith, it didn't seem like I was believing God. In fact, in fact, some of us were even asking, God, why did you let this happen to me? Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Because I was faithful, God. I've been going to prayer. I've been attending church. I've been giving tithes and offerings. I've been doing everything that they say you're supposed to do. And I thought that these things would cause me to have to avoid all of this. Uh, 
But here's what God was allowing, says, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And here's the reason why, that the life of Jesus may be manifested. His life is not only manifested in the great times and the blessings. I remember going through that phase in the faith teaching movement where they said, well, God needs to bless you so that your blessings can be a testimony to the world. I believe that that's half the message. There's also, there's also, because that, that part is the power of excellence. That God blesses me that I will be a testimony. The power of excellence. But here's Paul saying, but for them, for, for the life of Christ to be manifested, they need to see the excellence of the power of when a valley gate has been established that even when a person has been hard-pressed and perplexed. Even when a person has been struck down. Even when a family has been hit with an incredible tragedy. A couple of weeks ago, some of you may have seen it in the news, a 74-year-old uh, black man in Cleveland, Ohio, was randomly shot and killed. And they, the person who did it had their phone so that they could show themselves killing this man live on Facebook. And so reporters came in to talk to the family and wanted to get their response to the person. In fact, the guy was on a run for a couple of days and they where they found him in Erie, no, was it Erie? Somewhere up there. He had just crossed over into Pennsylvania, <laughs> stopped to get some McDonald's, and then they, I'm hungry, okay. <laughs> stopped to get some McDonald's, they recognized him, and the guy was arrested, and then he killed himself. But the family, when they interviewed the family, they said, we forgive him. Well, why would you forgive him? Because this is what our dad taught us. Our father was a godly man. I'm talking about a family that has the valley gate established. That even when struck down, not destroyed with bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness, but would tell the killer of their father, we forgive you. You need to turn yourself in. You need help. The reporters asked a very tough question to this family. They said, well, why you guys? Why do you think this happened to your family? They gave the most profound valley gate answer I've ever heard in my life. They said, why not us? They said, if this had happened to some other family that didn't know God like we do, that family would be destroyed. But we know where our dad is. So it's not destroying our family because we know where dad is. So why not us? 
we're able to handle it. But another family may not have been able to handle this. Can't you see the level that God has taken his church today? Now, this is the kind of bride that's without spot and wrinkle that he can come for. That even when struck down, we're not destroyed. When we're perplexed, we know, God, you're right here. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's pray together on this valley gate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for being faithful to us through this message of the valley gate. Lord, you are provided the material to build this gate. That's what he's been doing. Just say, Lord, I thank you for the material to rebuild this gate, the intestinal fortitude. Thank you, Lord. The total dependence upon you. My hope and expectation in you. All of this is the material to rebuild this gate. Thank you, Lord. And I do now over my own heart, over my family. And would you take the time right now just to name family members who you know need to have this gate to protect their, their hearts. Some of them might be children, might be adults. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We don't seek a trouble-free life. We're not looking for a trial-free life. But, Lord, what we seek is you, knowing that even if we must go through the valley of the shadow of death, that you are with us. We fear no evil because you are with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray like the Apostle Paul that we would rather boast in our infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon us. Bless you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord God. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. I don't know who needed to hear that today, but I want you to understand that God's got you. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. What you're, whatever it is that you walked in here with and what you're going through, I want you to understand you have the gate to guard and protect your heart and to guard and protect your home and your family. He does not intend for us to live in fear for our lives and worried about the next trial or the next tribulation that we must face. We expect, we always live in this expectation that the excellence of the power of God is within me. Yes, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord.